Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, hello. How are we doing today? Good. Great to be here with you. My name's Mark. Um, I'm on the uh, speaking team here at Creekside, so it's a privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, I became a Christian when I was 19, and very quickly I got invited to a Christian camp. Has anyone ever been to a Christian camp in their life? Who's had good experiences? Who's had weird experiences? There are some good experiences to be had on Christian camp. I know that Rach and Bryn run a Christian camp. Do you still run one? Yep, primary school, high school? Primary, there you go. I speak at a Christian camp every year. I'm not sure why they keep asking me to come back, but they do. Um, But when I got asked to a Christian camp, uh, typically what would happen is they'd have a session where there'd be some music, a bit like church, and someone would get up and speak. And then at the end of the session, I remember one particular time, the guy says, okay, that's been great. We've prayed together. We've, We've sung together. We've listened together. Now it's time to hug each other. And I'm like, what the heck? And he says, everyone up. It's going to be one big, massive hug session, right? And I've been a Christian for about three weeks. I'm like freaking out. Like I'm in the corner in the fetal position. I had no idea what the heck was going on. It was a very strange experience for me. Um, When it comes to church or Christian activities, sometimes our practices can be unnecessarily confusing or strange. And I guess at Creekside, we've been on this journey over the last 12 months where we're really aware of the fact that when people come to church for the first time, it can be a bit weird and can be a bit confusing for people. So we've been trying to ruthlessly eliminate those things that unnecessarily confuse people or maybe um, are unnecessarily strange or weird. And, and we've been trying to do that and hopefully doing an okay job of that. We want this to be a place where people can belong before they believe. We want this to be a place where those who are in the process of exploring Christianity can come as they are, they can ask questions, they can, they can feel comfortable and hopefully continue in their journey of exploration. But one of the other things that can be confusing is not the practices so much, but actually the content of what we talk about. Sometimes you can get people like myself who get up and they explain things in a way that's unnecessarily confusing. Or you might read about something online or hear some speaker on YouTube or whatever and they're using all sorts of church jargon or strange language or making things unnecessarily confusing. We're in a series, we're going to kick off a three-week series called Finding Freedom or Find Freedom. And in this series, we're going to look at Paul's letter. There's a church leader by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to the churches in Galatia. And we're going to look at that letter that he wrote. And the the, the goal of this series is really to maybe um, clarify some of the confusions that people have about Christianity. We want to do everything we can to make Christianity simple and clear to understand. And this next three weeks is about that. Now, before we get into that, um, if you're kind of new to the church or new to Bible study or new to this whole Christian thing, Um, we'd encourage you just to come along on Sundays and and maybe even join a community group if you'd like to. You're welcome to do whatever you want, really. Come and go as you please. But if you really do want to take a next step, or for those of us who are Christians, if we want to be growing in our relationship with God, coming on a Sunday is great, but it's probably not really enough. I I have the... um, I was going to say privilege of teaching maths. I'm not sure it's a privilege to teach maths, but I, I get paid to teach maths during the week. And if you said to me, I'm going to get to teach maths for half an hour, once a week to a bunch of students, 40 weeks a year, where would I expect that they would end up at the end of the year? And the answer is not very far. 
You can't really take people very far in half an hour once a week. You need to be doing stuff outside of that. So we've put together some extra resources that we'd encourage you to access. Um, if you're not on our email list, uh, you can just meet me at the deck straight after the service and I'll get you hooked up on, your, on the email list somehow and we'll send these out to you. But um, some recommended resources, we've got Tim Keller's audio messages that he's done on the book of Galatians. There's a whole heap of devotions. Devotions is just a word that Christians use to that when they talk about maybe spending time with God on a daily basis, um, reading the Bible and praying. And we've also got a commentary by a guy called Martin Luther. Martin Luther was um, the guy that started the Reformation just over 500 years ago. The entire Protestant church was launched by God through Martin Luther. He wrote this incredible commentary on the book of Galatians. Uh, John Wesley was actually converted through it. It's an incredible book. It's very deep and intense. I think he spends the first 30 pages from memory when I read it. Um, on just the first two words or first three words um, in, in the book of Galatians. But um, we'd love for you to take the opportunities to do that. So we're going to get started. This week we're looking at the topic, finding freedom from guilt, shame and condemnation. Finding freedom from guilt, shame and condemnation. If you have a Bible there, you might like to turn to Galatians chapter 1. Um, as I said, the Apostle Paul wrote to these churches in Galatia, Paul was actually responsible for starting them. When he was in, um, when he was doing these missionary trips, he was a church leader, telling people about Jesus. He basically proclaimed what the Christians called the gospel. That is the message that Jesus came, lived as a human being, lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, and he rose from the dead. And that anyone who puts their faith in him will not perish, as, as Rachel said before, will not perish, but have eternal life and receive the Spirit and be given a new life. Paul was proclaiming this message to anyone who would hear in the region of Galatia, and many people came to believe. And as a result of people coming to believe, Paul thought, well, we probably need to get these people together and, and gather together. And a whole heap of different churches were formed. So he's what people call a church planter or a church starter. He started all these churches. So when he writes to the, to the Christians in Galatia, Paul is not writing just as a church leader. He's, just not, he's not writing as someone who, who just is, is, you know, maybe has some level of authority over, over these people. Um, but without embarrassing, I think Vern's at the back there. I'm not sure Trish is here today. But Vern and Trish started this church in their lounge room. Was it about 13 years ago? Longer. 14 years ago, right? So when Vern and Trish think about this congregation, when they think about the community here, this isn't just another group of Christians or a group of people or a group of people in the process of exploring Christianity. They've given their life and their heart to this community. And this is what Paul was like writing to the churches of Galatia. He'd invested in these people. He'd seen them come to faith. He'd helped them launch churches and he was pouring out his heart for them. Now, Paul had learned that these other Christian or so-called Christian religious leaders had come in and they started teaching a message very different to the gospel, that is the message of Jesus that Paul had originally preached. And it was very confusing and it was confronting the very heart of Christianity. So Paul is extremely worried and concerned. Usually Paul starts off fairly polite and nice, but he gets stuck straight into it. We'll pick up in chapter 1 verse 6. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Now, the gospel, the message of Jesus that Paul had preached is what Martin Luther had discovered 500 years ago. That is that we are rescued by God simply by putting our faith in Jesus alone to save us. It is by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. This is the huge message that Paul had proclaimed. It's the message of the Protestant Reformation. And Paul had learned that these Judaizers, they were called, these false teachers had come in and they began to preach a different message. And their message was found in Acts 15.1. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, probably a lot of us are going, okay, well, okay, there's, you've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to be circumcised. I get that that's maybe not the most enjoyable custom that people have to go through. It's maybe painful. It's a religious ceremony. But really, is it that big a deal? I mean, they're kind of right, aren't they? Believe in Jesus and get circumcised. It's only a little thing. I mean, it's not really a big deal. Probably only takes, I don't know how long it takes. I don't want to go into that. So but anyway, <laughs> but, but the whole idea is that it's not really a big deal. But actually, it was a huge deal. Because for Jewish people, getting circumcised wasn't just about a religious ceremony. It wasn't just a little extra thing that you did on top of believing in Jesus. For, for, religious, for Jewish people, getting circumcised was about entering into an agreement or a covenant with God that you would obey the whole law, the entire 613 commands of the Old Testament. Galatians 5.3, Paul later says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So basically these Judaizers, these false teachers were coming in and said, it's not enough to believe in Jesus alone. We must believe in Jesus and obey the whole law. John Stott, a very famous Bible teacher, explains it like this. They did not deny that you had to believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stressed you must be circumcised and obey the whole law as well. In other words, you must add your works to the work of Christ. You must finish Christ's unfinished work. Now, here's the question. Yes, this is a different message. Yes, it's different to the one that Paul had proclaimed. But why is Paul so harsh? I mean, people get things wrong all the time. Brinley and I could sit down and have a chat, and I'm sure that he would find you know, errors in some of the things that I believe, and I'd find errors in some of the things that he believes. People get things wrong all the time. Why is Paul so confrontational? Why is he so direct? Why is he so urgent? Well, we read on. This is what he says. Evidently, some people, that is the Judaizers, the false teachers, are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel or the message of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. But even if we, this is so full on, this is what Paul writes, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we first preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Isn't that just a nice thing to say in a, in a casual letter? And he goes on to say, just in case we haven't got it, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be eternally condemned. Now, this is harsh, right? Can you imagine, you know, you know can you imagine saying, hey, if someone says the wrong thing about baptism or someone says the wrong thing about communion or someone says the wrong thing about how to operate church, send them to hell, <laughs> I mean, isn't Paul meant to be this Christian leader? Isn't he meant to be full of love and forgiveness and kindness? Isn't he meant to be patient? Isn't he meant to be full of joy? 
Can you imagine saying to someone, oh, they're wrong on this. Let's send them to hell. They're wrong on this. I mean, that's the kind of Christianity we steer clear of. They're the kind of Christians that we, we're scared of. Why is Paul so harsh? Well, throughout Galatians, Paul explains why he's so concerned. Galatians 1.16, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. In Paul's mind, what he's saying is this, when you shift, when I shift from believing in Jesus alone to Jesus plus obedience is what gets me saved, when I make that shift, it is not just a difference of belief, it is not just a slight error in theology. It is literally deserting the one who saved us by grace. It is literally letting go of Jesus and clinging to something else. Is this making sense? He goes on in Galatians 5.4. You who are trying to be justified, that is, in a sense, being made right with God or declared righteous by the law, by the commands, have been alienated from Christ. You're no longer with Christ. And not only that, but you've fallen away from grace. We often hear the term fall from grace in our society to, to talk about like a movie star who, or a cricket player or whatever who's gone through a bit of trouble in their personal life and they've fallen from grace. That's not the way that Paul uses it at all. To fall from grace in Paul's mind is to be clinging to Jesus alone and to let go of Jesus and to cling now to Jesus plus good works for our salvation. That's what it means to fall from grace. In Galatians 3.10, he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What we find is this. The point Paul is trying to make is that where we place our faith determines where we will spend eternity. Where we place our faith determines where we will spend eternity. And I think the reason that Paul is so harsh is simply this. He sees these false teachers, these Judaizers, as preaching a message that will send people to hell. And the last thing Paul wants to do is send anyone to hell or condemn anyone to hell. He's given his life to rescuing as many people as possible so they can encounter Jesus and be with Jesus forever. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but he doesn't want these false teachers to be left here on earth spreading a message that is going to take many other people to hell with them. Is this making sense? Paul is desperate. He is terrified that this message is going to get out, a bit like a virus, right? And he's got to contain it. The last thing he wants is for these false teachers to have their way. Let me see if I can make this super simple. We've covered a lot of theology today. And again, if this has kind of been a bit too heavy, we get that. We'd love for you to come and ask questions after the service. So um, let me see if I can explain. Imagine this afternoon, um, I go, I'm on my way home and um, I fall asleep at the wheel and I get hit by a truck and I die. So I'm dead um, this afternoon and I, I'm, I'm at the gates of heaven and God calls me into his office and he says to me, Mark, now, you know, you've died You've lived a you know, reasonably decent life. Mark, why should I let you into heaven? And I'm like, oh, God, no worries. That's easy. Um, I don't know if you realise, God, but um, I'll just, I'll just get my briefcase out here. I've got a few things here to go through. But, God, I've done some pretty good things. Let me tell you about me, God. Let me tell you about me. I've, I've lived a pretty good life. Um, I didn't come from a Christian background, but I, 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 was, I won the Responsibility Award when I was in grade seven. That was a big deal. 
Uh, I never got attention. Worked pretty hard at school. Um, you know, I've never got drunk. I've never really been in trouble with the law. Like, God, there's lots of things I've never done. Um, God, you should probably let me in. Now, if you've been around church for longer than about five seconds, that doesn't sound like it has much to do with God or Jesus. So I think, oh, hang on, I almost forgot God, hang on. Not only that, um, but I've also done some church things. Like I've read the Bible and I've prayed and I've, I've even started some churches and I've, 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 I've come to Creekside and I've come to other churches. And, you know, and, and again, that's very religious. It doesn't sound like there's much about Jesus. I'm like, oh, hang on, God, I forgot. Hang on. There's one more thing. I, just, I also, God, I, I actually believe in Jesus. And Jesus has done some stuff on my behalf. And um, Jesus lived the perfect life I couldn't live. Oh, hang on. And he, he, he died on the cross to pay for my sin and he rose again. And I say to God, look, this is why I think you should let me in. I'm putting on the table what I think you should judge me by. Now, if the standard for heaven is perfection, and this is what I put on the table, am I going to make it? Is what I've put on the table perfect? No. Here's the problem. Whilst I've done a lot of good things in my life, I've also not done some very good things. I've been at times incredibly selfish. I've gossiped about people behind their back. I've been incredibly unsympathetic to people going through difficult times. I've been apathetic about some causes in the world that I probably should really care about a lot more. There's lots of things I really need to, to, to acknowledge. And God, if I'm honest... Yes, I believe in you. I believe Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. But this, this is not good. So how do I make it in? The only way I can get into a heaven which requires a perfect record is simply to take what I have done and throw it to the side and say, God, I am a sinner I have nothing to bring to the table except what Jesus brings on my behalf. I am betting my life and eternity. I am betting the farm on his life, death and resurrection. And that is a perfect record and that is why Jesus, so that is why our Father in heaven lets us in. Where we place our faith determines where we will spend eternity. Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, who I mentioned before, he, he wrote this incredible commentary on Galatians and, and part of what he wanted to do was explain this idea to people. He took a story, one of Aesop's fables, about a dog who's carrying a piece of meat in its mouth and it's carrying the meat alongside a lake or a river and the dog sees a reflection of the meat in the water. And because the dog is greedy, like most dogs want more meat, he, the dog thinks to itself, I'm going to have to grab some of that meat for myself. So rather than just cling to the meat, the dog snaps at the reflection of the meat that he sees in the lake. And as a result, the, he loses the meat and the reflection in one hit. Martin Luther says that this is very much describing what Paul is describing in his letter to the Galatians. That he got a bunch of Christians clinging to Jesus alone. And because whenever someone puts their faith in Jesus, the reflection in their life is that they'll begin to see good works, that God just changes people. There'll be good works in their life. And that's fine. That's reflected in their life. But as the dog is walking past the river, he's clinging to Jesus. We cling to Jesus. But then we see those good works 
that are reflected in our life. And Martin Luther said, what can sometimes happen is people, they snap for their good works, to cling to the good works as well as Jesus. And in doing so, they lose both Jesus and their good works in one hit. Now, the question I want to ask today, the implications of this. What happens when we don't get hold of this? What happens when we don't get hold of this? The first is that we live in constant fear or condemnation. I remember years ago, I was talking about this kind of stuff in church a lot. This is the, the central message of Christianity. There's a girl who'd grown up um, in church. Her dad was a church leader, and she'd been coming to one of our churches for about six months. And she said to me, look, I, I get this whole Christian thing. I've lived and breathed it my whole life. But I feel like every time... I'm doing well with God and I'm close to God and I'm praying and I'm reading the Bible and I'm coming to church and I'm doing what he wants in my life. I feel close, I feel accepted, I feel loved, I feel forgiven. But the moment I'm not doing very well in my Christian life, the moment I'm struggling, the moment I'm apathetic, the moment I lose passion, I feel unloved by God. I feel unacceptable to God. I feel like I wouldn't have a place in heaven. In a sense, she was on this spiritual roller coaster. And I had to talk to her, and it's a very difficult thing to say this because this sounds very confrontational. I tried to do it as nice as I possibly could. And I said, listen, you're a really nice person. You're super nice, much nicer than I am. And you're really faithful and really genuine in your approach to God and everything else. But I just, I'm just not sure that you're a Christian. And I don't mean that harshly because I think you're fantastic. You're a much better person than I am. But a Christian is someone who clings to Jesus alone. It sounds like you're clinging to Jesus plus what you do. So that when what you're doing is going well, you feel loved and accepted. But when what you're doing is not doing well, you feel rejected and unacceptable. And we talked about that and she, she shifted. She put her faith in Jesus alone to save her. And her Christian life took off. Now that she knew she didn't have to do good works, she felt way more loved, way more secure in her relationship with God, way more accepted. And she no longer did good works because she had to, but she did them because she couldn't help it. She wanted to. The second implication is this. If we don't get hold of this message of Jesus alone for our salvation, now this sounds confrontational, we dishonour God. Now on the way in, uh, you might have got a, um, a newsletter. Has everyone got a newsletter there? Some of you have probably been reading it while I've been talking because you're distracted. That's okay. Now, every week on the back of the newsletter or the second page, we have a happy birthday section. And I just thought, look, I'm sick and tired of wishing people happy birthday in the newsletter, not doing anything about it. So during the week, um, Mel has baked a cake. Give Mel a massive round of applause. Look at this. This is unbelievable. So if we just put this up here, Mel's actually going to just help us here. And um, I, I, just, I just appreciate her doing this. She's very busy and she hasn't got much time, but she just made this wonderful cake that I thought we should share. There's about five or six people having birthdays this week, but I mean, we can all enjoy the birthday cake. So thanks so much. I think this is amazing. Is everyone happy with this? It's spectacular. Yes. So I, I think it's great. I just, um, I'm just wondering if I can make it a bit better. Like, it's good. Like, it's really good. But um, I've actually got a bit of stuff here. And um, like I'm just thinking, hang on, hang on a second. I've just got some stuff. I don't know. I, look, this is really nice. But how good are Maltesers? 
Like, I just think if I just put a few more teasers on here, I won't put too many, but maybe it's, I mean, really, how good is that? I mean, it's fantastic. We'll just put a few more teasers on. And, um, like, that's good, but I still think I could make it better. I've got actually got some, do you guys like killer pythons? Killer pythons are the best. I don't even know why they're better than snakes. I feel like they're exactly the same ingredients, but for some reason they're better. So here's some killer pythons, and um, that's, that, that's always a win. Um, look, it's looking really good now. Like, like I, didn't, I don't want to make it big. I think it's probably better, but um, I don't know if you like shapes, but I've got, I've got some... No, seriously, how good, how good are the chicken crispies or whatever they're called... So I'm just going just gonna to put some of these on. And then, like, I don't know, like, we're Australians, right? Surely you've got to get some wheat bix in here. I'm just going to put some wheat bix on. Sorry to use hands. So, um, and then, um, look, just to top it all off, some whipped cream. How good is that? There you go. Fantastic. So, now, don't you feel so valued? Has me adding to this made it better or worse? Worse. Well, some people are saying better, but you're a bit strange. So, is anyone willing to eat that? Usually, I've done this illustration before. The kids don't care. They just get stuck into it. They're like, yes. We think that adding our works to the work of Christ makes things better. And I don't, I don't want this to be too confrontational because this is not necessarily how we think, but this is the reality. When I add my efforts to this perfect cake, I took something that was perfect and made it imperfect. When I look at the finished work of Jesus, when I look at his perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect resurrection, and I say to myself, that was not enough. I must also add my efforts, my good works to Jesus' works. I am effectively saying, Jesus, you are not enough. I am no longer clinging to Jesus alone. I am adding to his work. As John Stott said, I am adding my works to his so-called finished work. That is what we are doing. I know people get extremely worried about this message of grace. Aren't you worried people will abuse it? People will abuse it. Aren't you worried people take it for granted? Of course people take it for granted. A father and mother know this every day of their life. That doesn't stop them giving unconditional love. But when we look at the perfect life and death and and resurrection of Jesus and we say, you are not enough, I must add my works to the finished work of Christ, in a sense, we are dishonouring God and saying, Jesus, it was not finished. When you got on the cross and you declared it is finished, Jesus, you were a liar. That is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is it is finished. That is why we're free. That is why there's no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. That's why Paul later writes there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's why the book of John records this, that the believer will not be judged but has already passed from death to life. It's why Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world but to save the world. It's because he is enough. This is why we talk about Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why we can't get enough of Jesus. This is not just a church that talks about marriage and finances and life. We talk about Jesus and proclaim Jesus. He is it. It's all we have. This could all be stripped away tomorrow and all we have is Jesus. 
He is the one who came to save. He is the one we put our faith in. We can have all sorts of questions, all sorts of doubts, all sorts of confusions about the Bible and church, but we cling to Jesus alone and he is the one who saves. The third implication is this. If we don't get hold of this, we often give up and walk away. Um, This is an incredibly sad story, but I had a friend who helped me become a Christian But after I became a Christian, I started to realise that he was very much in the camp of Jesus plus works gets us to heaven. And I watched him go through these incredible periods of discipline where he would add extra rules to the Bible. It wasn't enough just to do what God wanted him to do, to love others and love God. He needed to make up these extra rules. He took all these CDs that weren't Christian. He had a burning in his backyard Um, You can do that, by the way, but he was a thing for him. He wouldn't go to certain places because he felt like they weren't Christian enough. He wouldn't associate with certain people because he felt like they weren't Christian enough. And he went through this incredible period of being very strict and very legalistic. And it would last him three months, six months, and then he would fail and he would give up. And what happens when you fail at being legalistic? You have nowhere to run. So he would drop out of church, he'd drop out of Bible study, he'd drop out of everything for three, four, five years. And then he'd finally come back around and go, hang on, I need to get my life right again and go back to being legalistic and oscillate back and forth, back and forth. But he never has got hold of this incredible message of Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. He's constantly on this effort train where he must do something to add to the finished work of Christ. And because of that, he never sticks around in church for very long. He can't. It's too much of a burden for him. So what I want to do today just to finish up is something very simple. I just want to invite you. For some of us, for many of us, this is our opportunity. Would you shift? Would you shift from Jesus plus obedience gets us to heaven to Jesus alone? So can we just have every single person with their head bowed and their eyes closed? And if you're saying today, I believe that Jesus is enough. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe when he declared it is finished, that it was finished. I believe there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. If you're saying today, I want to be in Christ, I want to be free of guilt, shame and condemnation. I want to shift my faith from what Jesus has done plus what I have done to Jesus alone. If that's you today, simply just put your hand up and say, that's me. This is my opportunity. This is your time. This is your place. This is your hour. This is your time to be saved. Just pray with me. Heavenly Father, right now we declare that we are sinners and that we need a saviour. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good and kind and you came for people like me who've sinned in all sorts of crazy ways, who sin not just because we've done the wrong thing, but because we have this sin sickness, this sinful nature within us. Thank you, Jesus, you died for me. Thank you, you rose for me. In the best way I know how, I put my faith in you alone to save me. Give me your spirit, Father. Come into my life and make me a new person. Amen.